Thank you, Tim. And I, I love, I love the song selection that you picked. I just love singing about anything. Please be seated. Uh, anything that has to do with our identity in Christ and who we are in Him, and it's, and I love singing to God. It's who you are, and it's who I am, and you're perfect in all your ways. I just, I can't get enough of that. Um, so, with that, Happy Reformation Sunday, everybody. It's 500 years since Martin Luther posted his 95 theses at a church in Wittenberg in Germany. 500 years today. So, uh, as, as Pastor Joe asked me to speak, I, I, had, I had a passage, and, and we're going to still do that passage, John 13. And then a week ago, I said, it's Reformation Sunday. And I would be remiss to preach today, October 29th, 2017, and not talk about the Reformation. It's a big deal. And then Tim tells me he's a, a Lutheran pastor as well. So I got kind of nervous, but I, I did my study. It's, I've never given a sermon like this where I'm going to give a, a, a historical background to the Reformation. I sort of had like a post-traumatic like, reminder of, of historical theology class. Uh, but I, I, I did some studying that, and I just so many things came to mind about the first Reformation that happened 500 years ago and where we're at today as a church. And so I want to compare those things and then land where, where are we at today? And then just give, give you some inspiration, uh, give you some scripture, things to point us to, because, because Jesus is coming, everybody. He's coming for his church, and I pray that, that things flesh out here on earth as it is in heaven. Until he comes, we, we continue to do his work. It's not the mission who has, it's not the church that has a mission. The mission of God has a church. So, with, with that, you're, if you're probably wondering, well, what's, what's the Reformation? That's okay. That's why we're going to, I'm going to give you a brief 30-second 30-second song. Let me, Tim, let me, can I borrow your guitar for a second here? I don't even need it to plug in here. It's on a leash a little bit. You're good. I'm just going to do, 30 seconds, I'm going to catch you up on what the Reformation is. You ready for this? Okay. Uh, let me see. In 1517, Martin Luther began the Protestant Reformation by posting the 95 Theses that made Pope Leo X excommunicate him. Later, John Calvin joined the Reformation, and this is how it all began. In 1517, Martin Luther began the Protestant Reformation. All right. Now, now none of you, you don't have to go to seminary anymore because you, you now know about the Protestant Reformation. So, that was fun. I never did that before. That's, uh, my son had this CD. We did this, we did this program called Classical Conversations. And if you listen to that CD, that, that curriculum, it will forever etch these dates in your mind and you'll never forget them. That's what, that's what uh, Classical Conversations is all about. It's like this classical method of learning. So they just plant things in. So you'll never forget now. 1517, Martin Luther, this German monk, posted 95 things on this door of this church in Germany, and that changed the church forever. Like Sandlot, forever. Like she never, she never went back. 
Um, I, I want to I unpack a little bit about that Reformation was about and so, how it changed our theology forever, but then to go back around. And so I, I want to, I just want to ask this question. Are we any better for what happened 500 years ago? I mean, where have we gone? I mean, it's Martin Luther, he was, you know how old he was when he posted the 95 Theses? He was 33 years old. He was 33. And he went up against the biggest power in Europe, which was the church. So what possesses a man at 33, that's pretty young, that's younger than me. I know you're probably thinking, well, I thought you were 18. No, I'm, I'm older than 33. But what possesses a man to go against the greatest power in Europe, probably in the world, and, and, and challenge the status quo and say, you guys are wrong. Well, it was this conviction that he had from the word of God. That's what empowered him. And so he feared no man. But as, as, he, as he challenged them, um, he, he knew the word of God. And that's why he was unstoppable. So last week, I'm asked, the question was, is it, uh, are we any better off? Well, I have a Lutheran pastor friend who's a chaplain who was in Germany last week. And so let me read you his email here of what he said. He goes, as I walked around Heidelberg, I checked out a couple of Protestant churches here and there and everywhere were Martin Luther tributes, Martin Luther books, keepsakes, the Lutheran rose symbol in all shapes and sizes, even Martin Luther bobbleheads, and all for sale in the church. Maybe you find this ironic as I do. For those that can recall why the Reformation happened 500 years ago, it was because Martin Luther was calling out the selling of things in the church that were tied to one's faith, specifically their salvation. And here we are 500 years later observing and celebrating by selling things in the church as a way of showing our Lutheran or Reformation pride. And he said, I think if Luther saw this, uh, he'd be rolling over in his grave. Because we know what, what, really, what really ticked Martin Luther off is that the church was selling these things called indulgences that would sort of pardon your sin. So it'd be like, hey, uh, Tim, if you've done any, you know, like, minor sins, you can buy some of these and lessen your time in purgatory. Want to buy some? And so the church was making money off this and he goes, enough! I can't, I can't handle this. And so that ought to be our same conviction, should it not? That when, when people are misusing the word of God, it should, it should anger us. It, we should say, we can't do that. My friend's going to law school at, at uh, Regent and I said, you know, we need, we need a, a section of law that is against spiritual malpractice. It doesn't exist yet, but there are tons of places that would steal people's money in the name of God, and I think that's criminal. Um, so that's what he was going up against. Now, let me just cover uh, something that he was against was the, the church's view or their theology on sacraments. Do we know what sacraments are? Well, let me, let me tell you. I'm just going to read seven sacraments, and I'm not going to unpack these, but just to show a little bit of what he was combating and what he didn't like. The sacraments, the Roman Catholic Church believed that the sacraments were the means by which grace, uh, grace was given to people. So number one sacrament was baptism, and then two, penance, and reconciliation. And, and this was done through uh, 
they would, they would go to a confessional booth and knock on the, on the door and then confess to a priest and then receive absolution. The third sacrament was the Eucharist. Eucharist comes from the Greek word epharisto, uh, which means to give thanks. It's basically the mass in Roman Catholic um, circles. Uh, four was confirmation. Uh, five was holy orders. Six was holy matrimony, uh, getting married. And then the seventh was, sacrament was extreme unction. Uh, this is anointing of the sick, commonly known as last rites. You'll see like in a, in a movie, like a, a Catholic chaplain will kneel down and give someone their last rites. So these seven things were the means by which grace was given to people. And what Martin Luther said, oh, no, 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 you can't. I, I challenge that because the church was teaching that these things could only be legit if, if administered by a bona fide Roman Catholic priest. But Martin Luther knew, he, he knew First Peter, and he knew that all believers are priests. He knew in Matthew 27, he had that in his heart where the temple veil was ripped, giving everybody access to the Holy of Holies. Paul, uh, he knew the words of Paul in Romans 8, 11, that said the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in every believer and has made his home in them. So knowing the word of God and knowing what the church was teaching didn't sit too well with him. And he goes, I have to answer to God. Why would I be afraid of man when God's word says this? Hence he challenged them and he made a list of 95 things. And I'm sure he wasn't the first one that wanted to reform the church. Remember, Luther didn't want to break free. Tim, correct me at any time, okay? You're the, you're, the, you're the subject matter expert here. So he didn't want to break free from the church. He wanted to reform it. He said, hey, guys, what are we doing with our theology? So he posted these things on the door of, of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Um, and, and, and he challenged them. And um, out of the Reformation, as we learned, John Calvin, he's a, he was a French theologian. He came and he joined the Reformation. That's how it all began. Right? And, and all these great minds joined in on this thing. But what enabled Luther to do what probably a lot of people wanted to do was, the, was technology. The invention of the Gutenberg Press enabled him to write these theses and then duplicate it and duplicate it and duplicate it. And then he posted it. So Martin Luther was the first tweeter. He tweeted something, and he, he, he posted the first thing that went viral. He's the first, that's where the term was in. He went, it went viral. He posted uh, a lot of these documents. Remember how many he posted? He's just all over the place. Because the Gutenberg Press, he would stamp, stamp, stamp. And, and we're sitting on the same, we're sitting on the cusp of uh, the same thing. At any moment, any one of you could pick up your little smartphones and send a text all the way around the world to thousands of people. And I, I, I challenge us, how are we leveraging technology how, how Luther did to promote the gospel, to stand up for the word of God, to say, hey, you can't be teaching this about the word of God because that's not what it is. So out of the Reformation, okay, came these five solas. Anybody know what sola is? It's Latin. Yes. Holy. Fred. Only, yes. Alone. Yes. So sola. So out of the Reformation came these phrases. 
sola fide, faith alone. Well, is sola scriptura, which means the scriptures alone, and then sola fide, by faith alone, and sola gratia, by, by grace alone, and, and solus Christus, in Christ alone, and uh, sola, I'm going to mess this one up, it's uh, sola deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. And if you weren't aware, God's all about his glory. He's, he likes to promote himself. Everything goes back to him. So those five things, we are, his thing was, no, 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 no. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That was, that's the whole Reformation summed up. And it surprises me how many churches are today, how many, how many religions there are, how many places where it's a salvation by works. Let me, let me, let me prove it to you. Well, if you do this, this, and this, then you'll get to heaven, is, is what we've, we've heard it as. Some people say, well, if you join our church and you knock on a lot of doors, maybe you can earn your way to heaven one day. And I'm thinking, where do you get that in scripture? But my heart breaks because I don't, I don't want to be combative at the same time. I want to really find out what's on people's hearts and why they're believing those things. Um, even... Like a front-loaded gospel, which means it's right up front. These are like cults. They would be like, if you, you need to do this, believe in Jesus, plus this, plus join our church, and then you'll be saved. That's a front-loaded gospel type. But there's what's more uh, concerning to me is as a back-loaded gospel. Would say, they would say, well, if, if um, yeah, it's faith in Jesus Christ alone, and then you're saved. And, and then later on, they go, um, what was your name again? Yeah, they go, Adam, you know what? I'm not seeing anything in your life, so I question whether or not. So now Adam is in this quandary of, wait a minute, my salvation is tied to my works again. So he's looking at his works for salvation instead of Jesus. That's the problem I have with that backloaded, that backloaded gospel. The works didn't come up front, but they, they crept in through the back door. And I think there's a big problem with that. But if I stick with the Reformation, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I read this tweet that said, if we're saved by grace, that implies that our lives are going to be pretty messy. Anybody, anybody got some messiness in your past? I mean, in all of our hands, and in, in all the people said amen. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. Okay, so I think all that, right, like big deal. We came up with these solos. We came up by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. But, but really, where are we at today? And so my friends was in Germany last week. I mean, it doesn't sound like we've gone a little bit too far. Maybe we've gone back a little bit. Let me compare. The first Reformation was really about doctrine. Like, we need to get this squared away about what we believe. And so, in, in essence, the first Reformation was freeing the church from people who were corrupting. Does that make sense? And then, and then the, the new Reformation, what I think is going on today, or what has been for the, for the past decade, and, and, is that the, the people are being set free from the church, or what it's become. Does that make sense? So again, once again, the first Reformation was about freeing the church from these people who are corrupt. The, the new Reformation for today would be, and I'm seeing this in trends and in books, is that 
the people are being set free from what the church has become. Well, it's become a business, Adam. It's become fast food. It's become Burger King. It's become have it your way, quick and easy. You can drive through and then leave. So I'll prove it to you, right? And, and this is a no judgment zone. If you've heard this or even said this yourself or you've been taught this, then you can just nod with me. Have you ever heard the phrase, hey, um, where do you go to church? I've said that plenty. So if I think about it, wait a minute. I thought we are the church. So technically, we don't go to church. We are the church who goes to a building sometimes or a park or a coffee shop, wherever. But we are the church. Are we not? So here's another thing. And, and embarrassingly, admittedly, I've yelled at my kids and I've said, come on, let's go. We're going to be late too. And you know what happens when we yell at our kids to get them to church? We're teaching, them in, we're teaching them inadvertently that Christianity is church attendance, and that is not Christianity. We teach them that walking into a building and sitting down and receiving a sermon is Christianity, and that's not Christianity. Christianity is Jesus Christ in me, living through me, being, restoring me back to his image, bringing me back to the original state, was in the garden, naked and unashamed. But sin came in and just messed the whole thing up, and God has spent the rest of time redeeming man and restoring him back into his image. Uh, we, we, were, we were told... Uh, be fruitful and multiply, were we not? But we're told, but you know what that really means? We're not just multiplying kids. I think all the Oceania chaplains got together, there was four of them, and between the four chaplains, it was like 20 kids. <laughs> so if anybody's doing it right, it's those guys, right? But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about reproducing the image of God because man was created in the image of God, in the Imago Dei. Imago Dei is the image of God. So, um, we're, we're re reproducing the image of God. It was tainted in the fall, and everything we do goes back to, no, no, no. If anybody ever, ever felt shameful, guilty, dirty, sinful, all of those things are a result of the fall, and God is getting us back to, no, no, no. I've sent my son to die, to take away the, that sin, and put his image back in you. So you see yourself as you truly were created to be. That's a person that's created in the image of God. I almost wanted to create a bumper sticker because I've seen a lot of this, you know, whatever blank lives matter, right? You've seen them all. There's like 30 different versions of this thing. My version would be people who are created in the image of God matter, which is everybody on this planet. I drove by someone, and I, and I knew she was walking the streets. She probably had done some drugs. She's probably getting off of a high. And this is, this is just a couple weeks ago. As I'm driving down um, past Virginia Beach Boulevard, and I look at her, and I, and, I, and I go, in my prayer out of my breath was, you were created for so much more. You are so valuable in God's sight, and I pray for you. I, Thank you that you, I pray that you could find your identity in Christ. And I, and I didn't have time to stop, but it was as I was driving. But that's how I think now. 
If I see everybody through the lens of God's eyes and through his perspective, then everybody's valuable. Nobody's an idiot to me. Nobody's dumb. Nobody. I don't see it like that because I want to see it through God's eyes. So the church has, has there's been a lot of things that we've become in, in the past 500 years. Um, I told Adam, it's been, we've been like fast food, right? Like have a churro and people are out. And the church has become this building and we have this attractional model. So a church is, hey, come to my church. But it didn't originally start out like that. The church was people, the gathering of people, the assembling, and they were missional in nature. You know what that means, missional? That means they, they lived with a mission purpose. So if we're created in the imago Dei, the, that's the image of God, we're created for the mission of God, that's the missio Dei, then that means we're on mission with God. What's God's mission? That to, the soul should perish, that all should go to heaven. That's right. And to restore man back to the image of Christ, being conformed to the image of Christ more and more and more and more. Um, you know what's also happened to the church? And I got, I got so many notes in this. I'm just going to share what's, what's at the top of my mind and heart. But during evangelism explosion in, in the 90s, did you ever hear this question? If you were to die tonight, where would you go? Right? You've, we've heard that. I grew up with that. And so for a couple decades, we had this mindset of, and, and our evangelism strategy was to, was to target people and say, hey, Tim, if you were to die tonight, if you were to walk out there and get crushed by a car, where would you go? And I think I'm seeing a shift in this new reformation for heaven is not the goal, but here on earth as it is in heaven, it, transformational living, abundant life right now is the, is the current reformation. Didn't Jesus say I came to give him life and the life abundantly? So now, in, in my mindset, how that was detrimental for me was that if I was looking at heaven as the end state, as the goal, then I couldn't make sense of between here and there. You know what I mean? And I was angry. And I can sit up here and preach, and my wife would tell you, she's, you know, I, we've been married for 10 years. And I knew a lot of theology, but when I come on, I'd be a, I'd be a mean person. How is that possible where someone can know a lot of theology and not love people? You ever felt like that? Am I the only one in here? Like, I would walk around and seriously judge people. Like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. And I would judge all these megachurch pastors, too. Like, you guys, I would have something to say about everybody. So unlike Jesus. But this new reformation is about transformational living. I, I just within the past few decades, it's... It's, it's shifting, like churches shifting from receiving sermons, like, like hearing a sermon, sermon on ears, to transformational living. And sort of, I'm seeing like denominations come together, not like an ecumenical movement, but like, like it doesn't matter anymore. Are you, are you seeing that? Like you're seeing everybody just come together and worship Jesus. I, I, I love it. I was in the Philippines and there was like this charismatic Catholic movement where people were like praising God with their hands up. It's happening in reform circles, happening everywhere. And, and it's, it's not just the Pentecostals that were everybody's submitting. It's, it's wonderful. I love to see people surrender to Jesus and care more about what God thinks than what man thinks, just like, just like my boy Luther. So let me, um, let me, let me wrap this up here uh, with, with the Reformation. 
Where are we at today? Uh, we, we, we had messed up with our language. Remember that, that, that do you go to church language or come to my church language? No, man, I can meet you wherever you're at. I can meet you wherever you're at. And that's the church going, going to work. Um, I, I want to be that prophetic voice like, like what Luther was. You know what the status quo is, the way things always are. And, and I think the church, you know, the Reformation was good, but at some point, in some way, we, we became this, well, we've always done it like that. And then we didn't question what we're doing. So uh, some of the phrases that, that I remember, um, even as I'm thinking something like, I was always taught growing up that you ask God for forgiveness. And then the first time someone challenged that and said, no, actually, you don't ask God for forgiveness. We're never told that in scripture. I was like, well, show it to me. Prove it to me. And this person brought me the first John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I said, wow. So I put my finger in the Bible on the word forgiveness. And the only verb that preceded it was this word, homo legeo, same say, confess. And I go, you are right. So if forgiveness is what I'm after, then confession is the means by which forgiveness. So that means I would homo legeo, same say exactly what I've done, and then I can go right into thanksgiving. So, so Lord, I confess. I did this. I looked at this. I did this again. Thank you for your forgiveness. All the promises of God are yes and amen. You heard that before? So when we confess our sins, go straight into thanksgiving. I, I love that. That's, that's, that's part of what's happening as the, as the new reformation is taking place. Not being afraid to say, like, well, well I, I know that's popular, but what, let's revisit scripture, what it says here. Uh, something else that, this is just recent, okay? So if you're like, ah, oh, I never, uh, this is new to me too. But we've switched our language uh, with, my, with my children. We, we play the guitar every night before we go to bed. And there's this Matt Mayer song. Uh, it says, Lord, I need you. Oh, I, have you heard that song? Well, we changed the lyrics. So I don't tell Jesus I need you anymore. It's thank you, Jesus, that I have you. You see the, you see the difference there? Some people might say, Ryan, you're being too, that's too specific. That's too, uh, that's too much. But I would say, no, it's, it's the truth. So my prayers go from, oh, Jesus, I need you to thank you, Jesus, that I have you. Now I can do whatever it is that's in front of me. So let, let, me, uh, let, me, let me wrap up with this. Uh, the, the first Reformation was about freeing the church from corrupt people. The new Reformation that's going on is, is freeing the people from what the church has become. It's become fast food. It's become attractional. It, it hasn't been missional or emphasizing incarnational ministry that's living amongst people. So I, I actually never invite people to my church. I go, when can we meet for coffee? When can I take you out for lunch? You need help moving this weekend? You need some clothes? Right, Darius? I told Darius, you see his, his clothing... For, it didn't get shipped out here. I said, I'd let you borrow mine, but they'd be way too small. But that's the kind of stuff, right? We're going to help you find, take you to a cheap thrift shop, brother, and we're going to help you get some clothes, okay? Stuff like that. Um, the, the first Reformation 
move the church closer to home, and this new movement, this new Reformation is moving the church closer to the world. We're no longer afraid to get near the world. I don't, I'm not afraid that I'm going to get around some sinners and it's contagious and it's going to get on me. I see every, they're, they're penetrating the, the, the workplaces and everything else. Uh, the European Reformation assumed that they would be supported by, by, by political uh, agenda. And the church today, here at least in the West, is we don't care about that. I don't care who's in office because Jesus is my king. Man, I knew a lot of people that were like, what are we going to do? What, who's going to be president? I go, Jesus is my king. And after the election, where there's a lot of bummed out people, I call all my friends and said, hey, guess what? Here's the verdict. Jesus is still on his throne, and he still reigns, and he still lives in me. And they're like, oh. I said, so there's nothing to worry about. I honestly don't care who's in power. It could be Nebuchadnezzar. It could be whoever. Jesus is my Lord. You could throw me in the furnace, and Jesus is going to be there with me. The, the first Reformation was about doctrine, and, and this, this new one is about transformation. So with that, I'm, just real quick, can I leave you with John 13? Can I leave you with that? Go to John 13. I think this is one way we can, we can um, be part of what's going on with what's new. So let me summarize this. John 13. It was intense all throughout, throughout the Gospel of John. And all of a sudden they get to chapter 13 and it's intimate. They're in this upper room. They're with Jesus. It's just him and the boys and it's quiet. And he goes, guys, let me tell you something. I won't be with you for, for too much longer. It was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew his time had come to return back to the Father, which means he had to do that through death. And so he took off all his clothes, and then he went around in a circle here. He's half naked. Jesus is, in, Jesus is in his undergarments. He's in his underwear. And he has a basin and a towel, and he's washing all the disciples' feet one by one. And then he gets to Peter, and Peter nervously says, uh, <laughs> No, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. You are our Lord. That's the lowest job in society. You're not going to wash my feet. And this is classic. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And, G and what does Peter say? Just give me a bath. That's right. That's right. Well, then just give me a bath. And Jesus' response is classic. A man who has had a bath is clean. And all of you are clean except for one of you, Judas. So a man who is, I, I call that... Um, who, who was a Baptist in here? Yeah, there said you're. There was one Baptist in here. They they coined the. My Baptist friends say they they coined the term "once saved, always saved." Well, actually, it's Jesus. He says, "Once bathed, always bathed." Jesus says, "Once you've had a bath, all you need to do is wash your." And who's the one doing the washing? It's Jesus. So the issue is. Peter, as you as a believer who has had a bath, will you allow me to wash your feet? Now, I've been, I've been preaching this passage for a long time. I have a new understanding as of a couple months ago. And it never dawned on me that, that being humble and admitting that I need Jesus to wash my feet happens in the midst of community, in front of other people. Did you catch that? So it's not, hey, Jesus, I stepped in this, and 
mm, this is exactly what I stepped in. I'm confessing to Jesus, right? It's, it's more than that. It's Jesus, I stepped in something really stinky. And who's in the room? Fred, Tim, all, my, all, the, all the men that God put in my life are sitting in there and watching Jesus wash my feet. And I'm not ashamed to let them see where Jesus is washing me. This is huge to me. God put in my mind the importance of community. First Reformation was about doctrine. I get it. We needed that. That was so important. Faith alone, grace alone. This new one that's going on says, like, community. How is God going to sanctify us? Through the body of Christ, which is other people and community. So we don't go to church. We are the church, and we gather. We had a dinner last night with friends around a campfire, eating spaghetti and drinking good drink, and that's church. It was in the backyard. S'mores. My kids loved it. They love s'mores. Okay. Uh, I got to wrap this up, which is always good. Every time I say that, that adds another like five minutes. That's good for that. But seriously, um, let, me, let me leave us also with the fact that Jesus closes by, by saying, now what you've seen me do, do it to one another. Wait a minute. So how do we wash other people's feet? What if I help someone point out that they've stepped in something and not, never discounting, man, you've had a bath. Hannah, dude, don't worry about it. You've had, the Lord says you've had a bath. But you stepped in that. I get it. Let's talk about this in front of the group. Wouldn't that be awesome? To be in a community group where you're fully loved because you're fully known and Jesus is doing this work in front of everybody? That's amazing. No more hiding. I, I, I've, I've shared this for, for months now that, that if you're married, you should be fully known by your spouse. No secrets at all. None. If you have a friend, if you guys are, you guys are friends and you're doing life together, he should know everything about you. Why? Because God knows everything about me. So why am I going to fear man? I let people in because they're the body of Christ. I also want to leave us with, um, with one of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy 1.7. In the spirit of uh, the, the Reformation. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if I have fear, I wonder where it came from. I wonder who gave it to me. It wasn't God. I encourage us to be like Martin Luther. Be fearless for the sake of the glory of God, for his word. I encourage us in community. Let Jesus wash your feet in front of the group. Be part of what's going on as God is continually calling us to reform our minds, transform our minds, reform what we believe, all for the glory of God. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for brave men like Martin Luther, who challenged status quo, who stood up for what he believed and feared God more than he feared man, and at 33, changed the world. Lord, we thank you. I don't ask you to give us that same power. I thank you that you have given me the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and that empowered Apostle Paul and Martin Luther and many more men to only fear you. I thank you for this fear generation.
that only fear God and don't fear man. I thank you for all my friends in here. Thank you that you indwell them and empower them to be part of the mission that you have for the church. Lord, we ask for your blessing upon the rest of our time here as we break bread and get to know each other. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.